0: Hi everybody, I'm Tony, and I'm a persistently procrastinating but ever so grateful Al Anon member. And by the mercy of God, the help of the program, you Al Anoners and AAers, I have not found it necessary to plan a murder nor to contemplate suicide since October nineteen seventy. the truth Uh, may I take this moment to thank Mel and the committee and all you people for the opportunity of being with you this weekend it was it's really a period of love and I I think you people are remarkable and it's it's truly a privilege and then to have uh, Ray and Kay as our host and hostess has been just uh, the frosting on the cake, of course. And, uh, and uh, they were there right from the start, and of course we put them to work early. We came a day early, and, uh, and they've just been marvelous. And then to have a, a male Alan on, you know, uh, most of us men realize that we don't need to be here. You know, <laughs> we're not that sick, you know well then one other thing um and this uh before before the program ever started you know mel and her committee let it begin with me they let their love begin with them and they did this uh for a friend doug now doug was supposed to be your speaker doug g he's a great speaker uh and uh, unfortunately he came down he contracted cancer and he's uh, up there battling it right now and this group saw to it that they extended their love to him by sending him this uh, card with their concerns their prayers and their best wishes and I'll let you know I this is true it was a very important point in turning his uh, his course of uh, recovery and I really think he is headed towards remission and this is the committee and these are the people you have here now uh, and I let me uh, Doug sent a note to you and if I may I'll read it now hi this Sunday morning If if things had gone as planned, I would be standing up here to say thank you for inviting me as your speaker. Because of sickness, things are not as originally planned here today. Instead my good friend Tony, by our higher power's preferred choice, is reading this on my behalf. Our higher power obviously knows what he is about better than you and me. Tony knows more than most people how deeply moved and overwhelmed I am at the kindness of your convention committee and of many other group members here in Fort Walton Beach who contacted me and sent me their loving concern, although as yet we have never met. Tony is also aware that when I was fighting, step one, to admit my initial powerlessness over cancer
1: and regain my mental
0: stability in this lymphonic nightmare, The concern you gave me over the miles renewed my strength, built my hope, and wrapped me in love like a long-distance hug. This fabulous program works because it is all love. You care for me though you've never met me. I'm grateful because you care that much. We, all of us, are sharing this morning because we care. We are no longer dependent. We are interdependent. We need each other. I hope that by handing over in my third step each day my will and my life to the care of God as I understand Him, that some day, if it is His will for me, I can stand here and say thank you to all of you for who you are, for what you give to me in my present sickness and for the love you you have shown to me. You gave me the best remedy in the world. You cared and you shared. Yeah. And just one more thing, Mel has uh, some programs at the uh, admissions desk, and if any of you have an opportunity or the time to uh, stop by and just sign your name and pen any uh, thoughts or prayers or concerns. Uh, I'd be most happy to take those back and sort of complete the hug from you. Well, uh, before I launch into my eulogy on Al-Anon, I would uh, like to say a word to the aa now. uh, Mary Ann, you you had them show their hands and so I know there are a lot of them here. And uh, my gosh, let me say 7 years before I ever knew there was such a thing as AlAnon it was the AAers who gave me their support who kept me sane I mean saner uh, until I could walk through the doors of AlAnon and I certainly want to acknowledge this debt I really thank you but there's one AA I'd like to single out and she was my greatest teacher and my most aggravating adversary she took me to the pits of despair and the pinnacles of joy, and she was my biggest problem and my, my greatest blessing. Not only did she do the damnedest things in order to gain me the right to belong to Al-Anon, <laughs>
1: uh,
0: but in so doing, she so brainwashed me that even I had to question the sanity of my own principles. But beyond that, she taught me how to love. Now, not just the lovable, not all of us or any of us can love the lovable, but she taught me how to love the unlovable. And certainly there is no one more unlovable than a full-blown practicing alcoholic. And with that, I'd like to introduce my wife, uh, (laughs) Helen. Would you mind standing? Now the big book says that we're supposed to tell what we were like what happened and what we're like now uh unfortunately the description i remember was that given by dan anderson uh who's the director of hazelton uh, treatment center up at center city, center city minnesota and it was on the occasion of helen's second vacation at hazelton and uh, <laughs> And he he said this quote. He says Tony is a pompous, self-righteous horse's ass. <laughs> now he's wrong. <laughs> he never completed that. <laughs> I, I really don't want to argue the point. Uh, I, what I'd like to do is to try and go back and give you a little background so that you may have a little insight into why i might come to be described this way now my memory takes me back to when i was a little kid in caledonia minnesota and i was sitting on the back step of our our house with my arm around my dog and i felt lonely and sad and unwanted and i didn't know where i belonged and i didn't have friends my own age and i just didn't seem to know how to to get make friends and this might have been because at the age of four I was placed in an orphanage for a couple months. At five I was away at uh, temporary boarding school for a couple months. At six and seven I was away at uh, boarding school through the whole years. A nice boarding school, but it always I seemed like I was the new guy on the block, and I always had to prove myself, be worthy of having friends and i just had one heck of a time making friends and and this was terribly important to me now i had no problem with the adults you know those in charge Uh, i'd been given a set of rules by my folks and they told me that i had to be a good boy i had to do my best and of course that always included anything worth doing is worth doing well and then also that i had to obey my parents and those they put in charge of me and so uh, needing friends uh of course i worked at this but uh, when when they give me these rules i w- was uh, uh intelligent kid you know and so i had to check those out and of course i uh, i did so by deciding my way of doing things and and the only thing that got me was in, uh, something in the end and uh, or else they ignored me and i didn't like those and then when i did do things as they liked uh, as they had recommended well, you know my mom was so darn nice to me she'd smile at me and she'd hug me and pat me on the head and even my dad when he was around at least he wouldn't scowl at me so uh i i had this as a, a little background and uh, wanting to make friends and needing friends i obeyed and i worked hard and i did so well that by the time i was finished with the second grade they were they wanted me to skip the third and and of course uh the rule behind this is this what you live with you learn what you learn you practice and what you practice you become and i worked hard at this and there was another uh sort of principle that that uh, ruled my life from about this time and that was that uh, life was a veil of tears that the good die young And that we had to struggle each day in order to earn uh our reward at the end of this life and those were the principles that i worked on and of course uh you know as you go up the ladder of education uh you know to to prove yourself to show your accomplishments becomes more difficult as time goes and so i had to become defensive and i had to be perfectionist and of course people pleaser i always was and so uh I had I I got those pretty well ingrained rigid in other words and so uh, uh, but about that time I was married now neither Helen nor I knew that she were alcoholic Uh, I did realize she drank differently she drank potent drinks from large containers but (laughs) but so did all her friends my gosh they uh drank frequently and they, uh, they, they they drank heavily and partied frequently and uh, of course they were from the big city of st paul and i was from the little town of caledonia so i uh, i thought that i was the one who was out of step you know well uh that uh, that word frequently reminds me of arguments and you may not know it but things so compatible uh, there's a difference between engagement and marriage uh things so compatible before marriage became a complete misfit of purpose and direction just hours later <laughs> I mean the same day <laughs> and uh, and I tell you i, I wondered now <laughs> what the heck is going on you know there's these tears and this erratic behavior and i well, I was confused and, uh, and that began uh the longest part uh period of what i call this active disease and as a matter of fact i can give you my whole talk in five words pay attention now confusion chaos crisis recovery spiritual and uh, confusion yes as i said it started right then and uh, you know this doggone disease is insidious you And, and that word I like that word because it means stealthily treacherous and deceitful, and I think that well describes the way this comes on. And all of a sudden it's gotcha. And uh, and uh, the period lasted through uh, about ten years. And at the end of that time, uh, Helen's ninth psychiatrist came into her room at uh, Miller Hospital, and he says, Helen, you're nothing but a damn drunk, and why don't you get into AA? And that night, I took her to her first meeting, and that was March 2nd, 1964. And uh, uh, of course, this, pro- this uh, disease is progressive, you know, and so we went into chaos, uh, That's what I call the second part. Uh, and I, I like that word chaos because it means uh, uh, unpredictable confusion and, dis- and disorder. And I, I think that describes this disease perfectly. At least it was completely unpredictable for me, and confusion and disorder were rampant. Well, then we get into crisis, of course, and that has three features. Crisis is a short period, which is nice, Uh, (laughs) and and it's it's short because things are so critical. See, and then of course you have to make a decision. You have to. You can't stand it, you know. And you either do or make the right decision or the wrong. I guess I made the right decision, I got into Al-Anon, and I call that my recovery, and of course the spiritual, uh, to learn this program, and to, to put uh, the spiritual aspect, or, or this spiritual program to work, took many years. Well, that's my talk. <laughs> and, uh, well, all the rest is window dressing, so I want to warn you people, anybody who stays here, it's at their own risk. Uh, but, of course, uh, since you're staying, uh, I presume that you want me to prove that I have the right to be here, and uh, also the uh, right to be an al and, and there wasn't anything particularly unusual about ha- what happened to me. I, as I've heard, uh, everybody else has had the same things happen. And one of the things that I that come to mind, I've already mentioned, were psychiatrists. Well, uh, there were a lot of them in our particular situation. As a matter of fact, uh, as Helen said, she interviewed eleven of them
1: <laughs>
0: during the active part of this disease, and uh, and you know <laughs> this erratic behavior uh, just had me confused, as I said, and. Uh, well, being a neophyte physician, I, I had to think, well, she, my gosh, she's neurotic, you know. <laughs> and I, I, I thought, well, I, I tried to figure out which neurosis it was, and I never could figure it out. So I, I had to get the help of a psychiatrist, and by the time we'd been married nine months, she was seeing her first psychiatrist. Uh, another thing uh, that comes along in this uh, particular disease, and at least for me, loneliness was the most devastating emotion that i found in this particular disease and uh, i mentioned to you that i felt i didn't belong you know even before i ever knew there was such a disease or a person with it and uh, but when the time came for uh, marriage and we were i was thinking about marriage why you know i thought gosh finally i'm going to belong finally uh, we're going to have our own family. That's where I belong, and that's where the joy is going to come. And we're, and, and we're going to be close, and I, uh, we're going to be intimate, and we're going to uh, share everything. I'm going to tell her everything. And I did. And when I'd come home, I'd even share the mistakes I made. And, you know, I don't like to talk about those. And, uh, but never, never could she trust me enough to give me her feelings. And so I had to wonder what what's going on, and I didn't realize, of course, that she couldn't talk about her alcoholism, and uh, and so uh, a wedge was driven between us. And there I was again, alone. And and my answer to this was prayer, and of course that was really a tremendous consolation. And I prayed, and five years, ten years, fifteen years went by, and and of course I knew his ways, God's ways were not my ways, and so I kept praying, but during the last few years when things were so critical i had to wonder have you abandoned me also and that gets to be a lonely lonely place well uh other features of this disease uh finding the bottle now i know that's happened to all of you and uh and my version is just this uh, uh, one night I thought I had a heartburn or an ulcer or something like that. and I'd brought home a whole mess of uh, uh, samples of Geliosil and and I So I went looking for them, and I found them under the sink in the, in the bathroom. And I pulled one out and shook it up, you know, and took the cap off and took a swig and... <laughs> 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 yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs>
0: but you know, vodka doesn't belong in a Geliosil bottle. <laughs> But, uh, uh, oh yeah, (laughs) February 10th, uh, or 10 below in February, (laughs) whatever it is, uh, you know, reminds me uh, of being locked out of the house. (laughs) It was colder then. But uh, I I remember I came home, and had supper, and I I don't know whether I used it as an excuse or whether I really had to, but I made a house call afterwards. And uh, I came back and I never carry a key because we uh, our garage is attached to the house and I turned the knob and the, into the kitchen and it was locked. Well, I went to the front door and I turned that knob. It was locked. Well, I started using my kidneys, you know, and I uh,
1: <laughs> and I
0: rushed around to all the other knobs and uh, they were all locked.
1: <laughs> and
0: so I went to my daughter's room and rapped on her window and there standing in her doorway was her mother. And she said to her, if you let him in, I will never love you again. And that's those poor kids living between two such sick people as we. And I, I should say something about the affliction of the children. Every child in a, a chemically dependent family feels guilty they feel that it is their fault that the alcoholic has this particular illness i mean everyone it, at least i was a sponsor in al-anon and i asked every one of the kids for those two years when i was sponsoring and every single one thought they were guilty well i don't have the time really to give it justice may i just mention this uh, this is from sharon Wegscheider's book on on this family disease And she says, uh, no one escapes from a chemically dependent family. No one. And each member adapts to uh, to the behavior of the chemically dependent person by developing behavior that causes them the least amount of personal stress. And I really think that's true, at least in our family. All our kids did this, and so did I. I took the line of least stress. Well, let's see, other things that happened. Uh, oh, uh, treatment. Now, that might have happened to many of you, a spouse and so on. Uh, in our case, um, well, Helen went to Hazleton five times and once to Hastings State Hospital A&D Unit. So we were pretty busy. And, uh, <laughs> the uh, and, well, I want you to know that I was uh, potentially a good Elnon member. Uh, at least I certainly, uh, I tried to let her know what she should be doing. I, of course, realized what was right, and I informed her of such, and uh, uh, and I managed, I, I tried to manage, and, and I sort of had to work things out many times for her, but... Uh, you know, the, uh, the second time uh, she went to Hazleton, of course, obviously she slipped, and I, it was my duty to find out why she slipped, you know. So I went up there and I talked to Lynn Carroll, and, and he was reputed to be uh, uh, one of the finest counselors. And So I asked Lynn, I said, uh, how do you know when they're going to slip? And he says, you don't. And he said, but, he said, if they miss a meeting, be careful. If they miss two, they're thinking about it. And if they miss three, they're probably already underway. So, by gosh, uh, you know, I did my duty. I went back and I kept a close eye. And uh, sure, she missed. And uh,
1: so that next
0: week I did my duty. I uh, brought it up every evening and, uh, at the meal, or at least. And uh, we talked about, I talked about, uh, correct, uh, about the value of this program and the support that the members give and how wonderful it was and uh, came the the night of the next meeting and uh, so again I was on the subject and it came time to leave and she went to the bathroom and uh, gosh I waited and I waited and I waited and finally I rapped on the door and I said we gotta go I said we might even be a little late now she said I'm not going I said oh you gotta go I don't gotta go she says and of course she was locked in there and I, I tried and I, didn't, uh, I don't feel that strong. I can break those doors down. So at any rate, uh, you can bet the next week when the time for the meeting came up, I saw to it that she didn't go to the bathroom. <laughs> and, uh, so I, at any rate, I, uh, I said, well, it's time to go to the meeting. And she said, uh, well, I'm not going. I says, oh, yes, you are she says, oh, no, I'm not. Well, I picked her up and put her in the car, and I, we drove off to the meeting. And uh, so you know, we got down to Highway 13, and I had to stop. And she opened the door and walked off into the night.
1: <laughs> well,
0: you know, what am I going to do in the middle of this? this <laughs> all these cars, this traffic, you know. Well, I turned down and finally got on to 13, and... Our parish was right there, <laughs> and so I thought she probably was hiding in those buildings, so I, I went around. I looked through all the buildings, you know. <laughs> of course, I, I missed the pastor's house. I certainly didn't want to tell him of the problem we were in. And uh, about an hour went by, and sheepers, you know, it was cold, and, and it was sleeting, and I was wet and cold, and it was windy, and I, I ducked into one of the entranceways, and uh, and just uh, sort of wonder what the heck I'm going to do now. And and, uh, and I, I just was really befuddled. And, and a voice came from the darkness that said, uh, Well, I'm sure the meetings are over. We might as well go home. Oh, <laughs> uh, well. Uh, I tell you, I, I, I was a little displeased. And uh, I I learned something from this. I learned that if you're going to take anybody to a meeting against their will, be sure there's two of you in the car. (laughs) Uh, Well, I really didn't learn anything for years, you know, the first step. But at any rate, um, uh, uh, there there was another thing about uh, going to uh, Hazleton. Uh, Every time she'd go up there for four or five weeks, uh, they would give me an hour with one of the counselors. Of course, I wasn't very ill, so it wasn't necessary. But uh, they were pretty nice. Uh, they would, uh, they'd talk to me. And by the time she'd been there the fifth time, I'd worked my way all the way up to the chief counselor. And uh, and Dick says to me this time, he says, uh, He says, Tony, have you ever thought of Al-Anon? I says, al who And he says, uh, oh, it's a program for the family and friends of the alcoholic. And I, I said, oh, I said, uh, well, how do, uh, what do you do and what are they about? And... He said, "Oh, he says uh, they're in the phone book." And he says, "Why don't you?" Uh, he said, you, uh, "Look them up and uh, and uh, pick one out near your place and go ahead." Then you want to? Sure.
1: Please excuse me. There's an emergency
0: call for Rick Dolboy. Two four four one three five two. Rick Dolboy. Two four four one three five two. Sorry. Yeah. Uh. Let's see. We were up at uh, Hazleton, weren't we? <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, Dick was talking to me. That's right. And so, uh, well, he, he said, uh, well, look it up in the phone book. He said, you know, I'm finding a place and just go. And, you know, with that very dynamic, forceful recommendation, I rushed right out of there. And uh, about four or five months later, I, <laughs> I found a meeting and I remember uh, I, I can't tell you a word that was said at that meeting but I remember one gal was doing this and uh, another gal was doing this and I think one's knitting and one's tatting, and I thought these were prerequisites for belonging to al <laughs> and,
1: and
0: I, I really didn't know what I wanted to learn these
1: <laughs>
0: and so I uh, I didn't rush to my next meeting, <laughs> but I do remember. You know, if your higher power decides that something's going to happen, watch out. And sure enough, uh, just like that, out of the clear blue, Nick called. Now I didn't know Nick from Adam, but he says to me, "says uh, My wife's alcoholic, and I understand you've got a problem." And he says, how's uh, uh, about getting together for lunch and maybe we could talk." And and I thought, God darn This guy might have the hot coop, you know. And I, uh, <laughs> so I, I was—I <laughs> really wanted to get together. And I said, "Well, I said, you know, this is my afternoon off uh, Wednesday." And I said, uh, "I was uh, planning to have lunch, and by half an hour, how's about coming over?" Well, he did. You know what he was up to? He wanted me to go to Allenon. <laughs> and uh, and sure enough, uh, they coerced me and. Uh, Ed and he, uh, one on each arm, took me to my next meeting. and uh, and it was uh, it was all men's group, uh, the Monday night All men's group at Midway. And uh, Sally uh, Alice knows about that, and uh, so at any rate, uh, I got there, and there was a nice group there, about sixteen, seventeen, and there was a fellow in charge, and before he started, he uh, turned over to me, and he says, "Tony?" He said uh, uh do you have any questions and i said no no let me listen and so they went around and they were on a step and each one had something to say and i got back to him and again he uh, looked over at me and he said uh, tony uh, do you have any questions now and i said um, well uh, oh you know i'm sort of a quiet guy and i don't like to rock the boat make too many waves and so i said no and he said well is there anything you'd like to say I don't know, I must have got a burr under the s- uh, saddle or something. And I, cow darn it. Uh, I said, yes, as a matter of fact, there is. I said, if this is down on, there's nothing here for me.
1: <laughs>
0: I said, I've listened to every one of you. And not a one of you knows what a problem is. I said, you ought to hear about problems. I said, I'll tell you about
1: problems. <laughs> I <laughs> Uh, well, r- ranting
0: and raving, as a matter of fact.
1: <laughs> and
0: and then the darnest thing happened. I looked out there, and some of them were smiling. <laughs> and, and some of them were nodding, you know. And I thought, my like, gosh, what a kooky group this is. <laughs> Here I'm telling them they're out, and it's no good. <laughs> and, they're, and they're sort of agreeing with me.
1: <laughs>
0: so I had to calm down, you know, and I heard myself, and I... Of course, had to stop and look for the nearest door. And and, and then the darnest thing happened, I, I, I felt so late, you know, and I, I, I actually felt good. I hadn't felt that good in 15 years. And so I had to eat humble by, and I, I told them that there really, there must be something here, because I, I really felt pretty good. And they were real nice. They even invited me back. And, uh, well, uh, the things were happening too fast and too critically now. Uh, in, in our, and you know, and I really didn't understand the program well enough, and such things as suicides, and and uh, we had that on a fairly frequent basis at our place, and and uh, well, I did all the wrong things in respect to suicide, and like Helen uh, cut her wrist uh, the first year we were married, and uh, and I had a heck of a time sewing her up, and uh, you know, and then I got sort of used to this, and. Uh, you know, you can get used to suicide attempts and threats, and and she'd change every so often, and I'd get all excited again. And but you know, uh, time came when she almost completed it, and and uh, actually she was in intensive care for four days and nights before they finally told us that she might make it. Well, she did. She did make it, and she came home. And uh, about six months later why she i guess she thought i was planning to get her into treatment again at st mary's and she didn't like george mann uh he was the director there and uh, so one day uh when she was picking up the kids to come home uh, she said uh, she asked them if they wanted to go on vacation with her well two of them said yes and the other one said uh, well she'd better stay with dad and so she disappeared with two of the children And this, with the threat of taking her life and the children's life, was really a terrible scare. And uh, again, for four days, uh, we were wondering what was going to happen. And finally came a a call, and she had this question for me. She said, uh, If I come home, will you promise not to put me into treatment again? What a hell of a question, huh? Well, at any rate, I didn't realize that she was calling from the airport. I thought she was calling from... I thought she probably was out west someplace. And, uh, but she was at the airport, and she called her 11 full-service psychiatrist, and she said, I'm sick, and uh, uh, would you help me? And she said, sure, Helen. He said, uh, put yourself in to Miller and Psych4, and I'll be down later, and, and write orders. Well, I went down there, uh, and... Uh, I wanted her to go to treatment again, and I wanted her to go uh, to Ramsey. Uh, She didn't, uh, she wasn't in favor of that. So uh, uh, of course I had to have a a court hearing. And you know those alcoholics, they are clever, cunning, and con artists. And she takes a back seat to no one, I'll tell you. And so I knew she'd have an ace up her sleeve, and so I got real concerned and uh, agitated and everything else. And I. I had 40 people there and my lawyer and myself and there was Helen well she had a psychiatrist there well the upshot of it was was that she was committed and I was exhausted (laughs) (laughs) well at any rate uh, 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 she was committed to Hastings State Hospital uh, to the D unit and I understood that she was supposed to go for a long term treatment not just this usual Thing that she'd been on, you know, four or five weeks. So I went home and got back to work, and uh, one night, uh, about a month later, I came home, and guess what? There was Helen. Yeah. And she was, boy, she was resentful, angry, and spiteful, and she says, You don't have to worry about my drinking. She says, I, my lawyer told me said if i don't drink for three months i can sue you for divorce and i can get the children and then i'll live as i darn well please my gosh for 17 years i'd been trying to get this gal free of these drugs liquid and solid and for 17 years i had failed and now my my final effort and i had failed on this i didn't know what to do I I was just numb. I ran out that door, and I ran across the fields, and I finally sat down, and I cried. And I thought of divorce, and I I really didn't want that. And I thought of my friends, and I wondered if they could help me, and, you know, it had long ago been proven that they couldn't help me. And I thought that God had abandoned me, and I despaired, and I thought of suicide. And then it was just like I was in a, a deep, black pit silence and then uh, I knew someone was there and it was gone and then he must have given me the insight because I I said to him I, I, I can't do anything I can't do anymore there isn't I, I've done everything I can can't you help me I guess i finally had a little humility you know and just like that whether you believe this or not a warmth came over me just like from cell to cell over my whole body from my toes to my hair i was at peace this terrible life of turmoil and chaos was behind me i had a new life i had freedom i had serenity I had peace just like that he gave it to me. And you know, this isn't the end, of course, this is is just the beginning because then I started working the program. Now, what I'd really like to emphasize in just a few more minutes is part of my journey into this spiritual program. And please come along with me I you know when I came in again I was confused and uh, but even so you know I saw the twinkle in your eye and you, and you smiled you even laughed and of course I couldn't understand as somebody said the other how you could be laughing about something so serious at this but by gosh you had a peace I knew you had an inner peace and I wanted that my gosh I wanted that and also I felt good when I was with you and so I kept coming back, and, and in spite of the fact that, you, that I kept asking you, uh, and you kept saying, work the program, and I said, well, what do you mean, work the program? And, and God darn you, you would never answer me. And, and you'd say, well, it takes time, and, but you never answer me. You'd, I'd say, well, what do you mean, work the program, work the program, work the program? And,
1: uh, <laughs> and they never did.
0: But... Uh, I said read the literature and, and boy i gobbled that up and i tell you i read everything and you know that one a day book uh uh it was absolutely fabulous you know, and and i'd read the day you know and i'd read 10 days forward and five days back and so i'd have about 20 things i had to work on that day and uh, of course my life was spaghetti <laughs> and, uh, and 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 after a weeks not quite months but weeks anyway <laughs> You know, I it was no place. And I had to get that piece, you know. I boy, I needed it now. And so uh, I I realized well I had to stop all this sixes and sevens. I had to really get onto one thing and, and I couldn't understand the Gob Dime program. And I looked over all the slogans and I finally found one that I could understand. It was live one day at a time. And so well, even before I even came in the program, I realized that I was cross-eyed. You know, I had one eye on yesterday and one on tomorrow. And so I, uh, you know, I used to worry about what I hadn't accomplished yesterday, and I would fantasize about the fabulous things that were going to happen tomorrow. So I never had any time for today. And so I, I had realized that, and I'd been working on that. So I, I had the idea about this one day at a time. So I started working on it. And wow, it was hard, and it was slow. My. Mine. Gosh, was it painfully slow. And weeks later, you know, I, I had about a half an hour of uh, uh, of living in the present. But even then, you know, it was great. It was an improvement. You know, and uh, so I went on to other things eventually, and I, uh, there was a, one or two defects of character that showed. And <laughs> so, uh, you know, self-pity and self-centered and self-righteousness. Well, and uh, to name just a couple but uh i like self-pity you know that was real nice and uh when i <laughs> when i get down i i used to like to wallow in that warm ooze and, uh, and, and fortunately it didn't strangle me before i got some insight and, and you know it's amazing it's really amazing uh what uh what little things will give you insight sometime but uh i want to talk about uh a stumbling block that turned into a stepping stone uh, by insight and that was uh, was prayer and in that of course i'm talking about the second part of the 11th step and uh, i i been trying to pray and i knew that uh, as you you heard that i was not effective and uh, and so I, I, I was really learning. Uh, I wanted to know how to pray. And of course, I, I didn't understand that uh, uh, second part of the 11th step, but finally, I, I, boom, you know, the light went on click, click. And sure enough, it says, praying only for knowledge of His will for us and the power to carry it out. You know, praying only, that's the way to pray. Praying only for knowledge of his will for us. Christ, I had it there, see? And, of course, uh, well, you know, I, I'd always known, at least intellectualized, that uh, you were sp- supposed to pray, uh, not my will, but thine be done. But somehow or other, I, that just didn't fit me very well. At least I couldn't handle that. And uh, But I, I put this thing, this new idea, into my own words, of course. And it came out this way i would start the day asking for his guidance god please give me your guidance direct me through this day and give me the power to carry it out and that's what i went after and by gosh you know i'd ask him for his guidance and i'd roll up my sleeves and by cripes we were great you know we were a great twosome and and marvelous things would happen i tell you it was wonderfully better of course you know i couldn't stand that too long and
1: uh,
0: <laughs> so uh, sure enough by mid-afternoon sometimes I'd find I was really in the muck and i said, okay Malwick what's up now and uh, and so sure I, I, I'd learned by this time that I should look to myself first and, and sure enough I'd forgotten to ask for his guidance you know but even then I'd beg his pardon and ask for his guidance and things would be better and so they were but even so, I knew there were many days when there wasn't even any sunshine. But then one weekend, I was on call uh, for our group, and, uh, and this, uh, one of my buddies told, uh, said he had a, a young terminally Ill, uh, cancer patient in there, and would I see him? And I said, sure, of course, and, uh, and I wasn't ready, however, for what I saw. I came into this room, and, and there was this white face with these deep-set black eyes, well, I tell you, it looked like a skull with a black wig on it. That's what he looked like. He was that ill. And and then I wasn't ready for what he said. He said, Doctor, he says, you've got to help me live. This guy couldn't get his head off the pillow. He was that weak. And I was supposed to help him live? My gosh, you know. And unfortunately my mouth was still hanging open, and I couldn't speak. And he says, um... Uh, uh, he said, oh, I'm sorry, Doc. He said, uh, you know, I know you doctors told me I'm supposed to eat, and I know I need the energy. He said, I can get the first teaspoon on. But he said, the second one, he said, it goes part way, and then I gag, and I gag, and I gag, and I vomit. And he says, he says, but I'll try. He said, no, I'll do it. Well, I got out of that room, but I couldn't get that guy out of my mind. Here this fellow was living... He was given every last bit of his energy to live one day. One day. And me, heck, I'd pass up two or three days just to get through a better day, you know. Well, there's got to be some contradiction there, isn't there? And then this uh, psalm, This is the day the Lord hath made, rejoice and be glad. Well, God darn, I knew in my guts that there were too many days that were a real dread particularly Mondays, almost every Monday, was a frustrating dread. And so how could these things be? Well, uh, one day I heard a tape, and this was by Ernie Larson, and guess what, it was on projection. Well, you know, I had uh, dealt with uh, self-pity, self-centeredness, self-righteousness, projection, I mean, uh, uh, well, all kinds of other ones. Uh procrastination was one of them, and but never, never did I think of projection. You know, it just wasn't one of my problems, I thought. But here this guy hit me right between the ears. He says, uh, "Well, I had said, and i I'd say, "Gosh, if only I can get past Monday, you know it's downhill to Wednesday, and then I'll have some time to make rounds and I can make my calls and get my charts up, and then I might even have time to jog." or if i only get to the end of the week you know i i'll have a couple days off i can repair the barn do the fence mow the lawn do a few of the chores that helen generally has listed for me and i might even have time to put my feet up and uh, or you know boy when i finish this deck then the whole family's going to have such a great time they're all going to be down here we're going to have a weenie roast and we're going to really have fun or wait I guess, wait till I retire, boy, then I'm going to start living. I said, what? What did you say? I said, wait until I retire, then I'm going to start living. Well, it came to me, you know, quick, quick. The light went on. My gosh, Ben, what the heck are you saying? You're going, you're waiting to live? You're going to wait till you're in a wheelchair before you're going to start living. (laughs) But that's real. That's what I was doing. And so, and I knew, you know, that this moment is the only moment I have any control over. Right now, I have to do the very best I can right now. And then if i do that with each moment through this day then for that day i will be fully living fully alive and i finally understood that and really now my mondays even my mondays are not the terrible frustration that it was they were they're an adventure they really are an adventure now (laughs) they had parts of the adventure as well as good but i know that there will be really interesting situation interesting problems but interesting situations marvelous people and and so my mondays are better well so this kid you know who i told you didn't know where he belonged had come to find first of all that god loved me secondly that i had worth you know i i actually had worth because when the When the greatest force in all this universe could come to me when I'm at my greatest need, my gosh, I had to be worth something. And it wasn't my accomplishments that did that. Boy, it surely wasn't that at all. It was a gift. It's a gift. It's his gift to me. And of course, accomplishments, you know, I I thought that's what I had to do to earn your friendship i had to be worthy of your friendship and that's so darn stupid you know you know to, to to accomplish this to to show you that i'm better than you and then i'm supposed to expect you to be friendly to me at every age that's that'll never happen but that's the way i had it figured out you know and let me assure you if anybody else feels that they have to accomplish something in order to have worth let me assure you you are doomed to failure because each time you do something the next time you have to do something greater and so what happens when you earn the the uh, gold medal uh, olympic gold medal or what happens when you get the nobel prize there's nothing after that you've lost it's failure and of course i thought problems you know the problems were my undoing and and how could god do this to me you know here i i prayed i went to church i didn't run out of my wife i i i brought the money home i kept a good uh, roof over the kids uh, heads and i really tried to do what i thought he wanted and here one problem was worse than the next and gosh i'd have to pick myself up and and dust myself off and try and harder and finally i was down on my knees But, you know, what better place to show some humility than from your knees? And so I finally got a little humility and said, God, I can't do this. I I can't do anymore. Would you help me? And with just that little opening, just that little bit, he just exploded his love in me. And here I had a heart full of love. And you know what you want to do you know you want to give that away and that's gratitude and 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 let me tell you what, what uh, gratitude is i mean I, I looked this up in the dictionary and the only thing it says is is thankfulness but uh, but a librarian uh helped me with this and after about 25 books we came to this uh there are three features to gratitude one is thankfulness all right but also it means uh, we we really acknowledge that we've received a great gift that's completely unearned unmerited and thirdly we realize that we sense the obligation to repay in kind and those three features are there and so now i went out to you people and i wanted to repay you i wanted to do something for you. i wanted to be of help and so not not to uh, endear you or Uh, make you indebted to me so that you'd say, well, he's okay. No, I wanted now, I had a new attitude to help. I really wanted to help. And now with this new attitude, guess what? I found I belonged. I belonged to Al-Anon and I belonged to the human race. And I just want to mention one thing. Please consider what God has done for me. You know he has taken this fellow who didn't even like himself who knew he wasn't he had no worth this fellow who had a black cloud over his head and a veil of tears below and, and a struggle each and every day this life was a negative place i was negative and he changed me into one who had gratitude i mean gratitude you can't be negative and have gratitude you, joy joy and joy is the infallible sign of god's presence and he gave me this and he did he, he he said he gave me these promises you will know a new freedom you will know a new happiness and we will come to comprehend the word serenity and we will know peace And these are the promises aren't they and are these extravagant promises we think not they are being fulfilled amongst us sometimes slowly sometimes quickly they will materialize if we are willing to work for them and i'd like to close by giving each of you this wish and this is by jonathan swift May you live, may you live all the days of your life. I love you. Thank you for hearing me out.